Would you uh, bow your heads with me uh, for a moment of prayer? Father, our hearts are full as we have worshipped you and praised your name. And Lord, we want to, as that one song declared, we want to completely surrender our hearts to you today. Father, I am so excited about um, your word. Every time we have the opportunity to hear and to speak your word, you speak to us. And so my prayer this morning is, Lord, that each one of us would have ears and hearts open to receive your word. Lord, uh, I pray that um, what is said today that is from you would be pressed into everyone's hearts. And what is said today that is not from you would be quickly forgotten. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Many of you have asked about uh, Sherry. She's been gone for a few weeks. She's in Michigan um, doing some medical treatment there, and she's staying with uh, Vicki Reed's sister, so she's well taken care of. I was out there uh, Thursday through Saturday just to visit her, and uh, it was great. And she says hi to everybody. She misses you. She loves you, and, and she's praying for all of us. So uh, greetings uh, from Sherry to each and every one of you. Also, I wanted to mention that um, we have a baptism service next Sunday. And uh, if you were interested in following the Lord in baptism, please mark your connect card or email me this week. Uh, the baptism service will not be uh, during our services like we've done in the past, but it'll be at Jim and Diane and Nia's home after the second service at about 1230. And we'll give you directions how to get there and everything. But that's the baptism service next Sunday uh, after the second service. So a couple of um, uh, things to mention before we begin our message today. Um, the first thing is this. The title of the sermon today is The Day of Judgment. So ushers, be prepared to lock the doors. Uh, and when I give you the signal, and uh, we've got people posted here, uh, sentries at both uh, doors. Uh, so The Day of Judgment. So here's a couple things I want to mention. The first is this. Uh, the Bible makes it clear that you're supposed to love your pastor. So that's not an option. Okay? So you've got to love me regardless of whether you like what I say or not. Okay? And, and the second thing is this. Don't shoot the messenger. Okay, this has got when I was in seminary, I graduated, graduated from seminary in 1978. And in my ordination, I was I promised that I would preach the whole counsel of God. That's the whole counsel of God, the whole of God's word, not just the things I like and the things that are warm and fuzzy, but the whole counsel of God. And when you read the book of Jeremiah, as we've been doing for the last uh, several weeks, um, you can't help but be faced with judgment. And uh, we're going to be talking about that today. So uh, that's my little caveat, and I trust that you'll uh, receive and press into this word today. I really believe it's a word for each and every one of us. So we begin with Jeremiah 39. Now, next week is the last in our series of Jeremiah, and I struggled with what I wanted to do in the last week. But I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about next week the prayer that Jeremiah prays in chapter 32. But today we have to deal with the subject of the Day of Judgment. So we look at chapter 39 of Jeremiah. And I'd like to read for you just three verses as we begin. Jeremiah 39, 16 to 18. Hear the word of God. Go and tell Ebed-Melech the Cushite, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. I am about to fulfill my words against the city through disaster, not prosperity. At that time, they will be fulfilled before your eyes. But I will rescue you. On that day, declares the Lord, 
You will not be handed over to those you fear. I will save you. You will not fall by the sword, but will escape with your life because you trust in me, declares the Lord. The fall of Jerusalem took place in July of the year 587 B.C. All of the prophecies of Jeremiah came true. After 18 months of siege, the Babylonians marched into Jerusalem and wiped out the city. According to Josephus, and now remember Josephus was a Jewish uh, historian. He wasn't a Christian, but a Jewish historian. This is the way he describes the event. The battering ram took its last run at the walls. Darts, that would be flaming arrows, darts from the enemy siege mounds arched into the midnight sky and struck their mark in flames. Famine had already claimed many lives inside the walls. Five Babylonian princes marched through the streets of Jerusalem, their faces illuminated by the flames of destruction. So 587 B.C., these princes of Babylonian are marching through Jerusalem victorious. Jerusalem has fallen. Judah is depleted. The Israelites are forlorn and, forlorn and broken, and they don't know what to do. Now, these historical reports have been confirmed by an archaeologist. Her name is Catherine Kenyon several years ago, who discovered the walls and the houses of Jerusalem that were reduced to rubble. The fall of Jerusalem was an epical event in world history. Now, now you need to hear this and hear this in context. The city of Jerusalem did not return to Jewish rule for the Jews in control of Jerusalem. The city of Jerusalem did not return to Jewish rule until the middle of the 20th century, 1948, 2,535 years after the Babylonians marched into Jerusalem. What does this world-shaking, world-shattering event teach us today? Well, one of the things it teaches us is that um, if we are persistent in saying no to God, if we persist on our own way, God eventually will say, okay, pal, have it your way. Okay, Judah, <laughs> I've given you dozens of opportunities to repent to be restored and to be re-embraced in my love and grace and compassion because God always wanted his people to be faithful. He always wanted his people to come back to his love and his warm embrace as a husband and a wife. God always wanted that. But time and time again, and we see this all through the 40 years that Jeremiah has been preaching to the Israelites, they've said, yes, we'd like you, God, we love you. No, we want to follow the gods of Assyria. We want to follow Baal and Asherah. We want to do it our own way. This event teaches us that God's promises of judgment in absence of repentance and restoration will come true. It is inviolable. Jeremiah 39, 1 and 2. This is how Jerusalem was taken. In the ninth year of Zedekiah, the king of Judah, in the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, marched against Jerusalem with his whole army and laid siege to it. On the ninth day of the fourth month of Zedekiah's eleventh year, the city wall was broken through. 
These verses form the climax of Jeremiah's book and the low point of Jeremiah's life. For 40 years, from the first chapter of Jeremiah to the last chapter, Jeremiah's prophecies were about those who refused to follow God. Those who refused to go their own way instead of God's path of joy and peace and and a life that has substance and meaning and purpose. God says, this is the way to go. This is the Ten Commandments. This is the way I want you to live your life. And God was constantly presenting them with that option. Just repent and turn back to me. Remember, the word repentance is a very important word in the New Testament as well as the Old Testament. The word repentance means that you're walking one direction. You're walking your own way, your own path, doing your own thing. And repentance means that you stop, you turn around, you face God, and you start walking towards Him. The Israelites had chance after chance after chance to repent and to be restored to God's love and His grace. But they chose to follow their own way. Every word in Jeremiah 39 is like a hammer. The dreaded day has finally come. Judgment is upon the Israelites. Now, we all know of people and even in our own lives when we have experienced judgment. Now, when I say judgment, don't hear um, the wrong kind of judgment. You know, it's one thing to say, well, you're judging me. It's another thing for God to say, listen, you're going the wrong way. If you go that way, you're going to be destroyed. Go this way. Justice is part of judgment. So don't think that there's something wrong with judgment. Judgment is simply God saying, you know, if you do it your own way, this is where you're going to end up. This is what's going to happen to your life. So judgment is a good thing in this context. I have a a nephew. uh, And we we grew up in San Diego. My first church was in San Diego. So our, our kids grew up with their cousins. And uh, one of my son's favorite cousins was his cousin Aaron. They're about the same age. And uh, Aaron grew up in a Christian home. They, he grew up in the church at least as long as I was at Mount McGill in our church. And, and, uh, but, but early on, there was some anger in this kid and there were some things in this kid. And as he grew up, he got into more and more trouble and drugs and alcohol and then weapons and robberies and all kinds of terrible things. And and somehow he always escaped uh, the law certain, at a certain level. And he was in juvenile hall for a short time, but then he was out on the street again. Just really, and at one point in, when we lived in Minnesota, Sherry and I even had Aaron come out and live with us, thinking that we could maybe help him. You know, I mean, we weren't any better than any other parent, but we loved, maybe he needed a change of venue, a change of place, a change of circumstance. And he was with us for a few months and nothing changed. And so all these times he was avoiding this final strike of the gavel until it finally happened when he was 22 years old and he spent the last 10 years in federal prison. Judgment will always come. The consequences of our actions and of our lives will always have fruit. Always. And we look at the judgment in the book of Jeremiah. Many of Jeremiah's contemporaries doubted the day of judgment. The religious leaders of the day promised peace, peace. Remember that? And they also remember when uh, uh, the temple was restored and everything was rebuilt under Josiah and everything was cool at the early part of Jeremiah's ministry. And and they would march into the temple and they would say, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Everything's cool. It's we're religious. But God said your hearts are still far away from you. There's still something very wrong. Being religious doesn't get you to God. 
No matter how hard you try, it just doesn't get you to God. And they didn't fail to see this. And, and so now this judgment, like a hammer, is just kind of coming down on them. Everyone went along, business as usual. Oh, God's not going to judge us. He's too nice. You know, God's too nice of a God to judge us. How many times do you hear that these days? Well, if God is a God of love, dot, 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 fill in the blank, right? Well, if God is a God of justice, dot, 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 you fill in the blank. Yeah, the same is true of our times. The person on the street lives in ignorance of Christ's imminent return. The final judgment is generally treated as a humorous subject. Uh, the man carrying the sign that reads, Repent, the end is near, is either mocked or ignored. And yet we have all of these movies, the apocalypse and the day of judgment and, and now oblivion. And we have all these great movies and people are thinking about the end of times. What was it last year? Right. Based on the Mayan calendar, everything was supposed to go up in smoke. Well, just like in, you know, two, the year 2000, nothing really happened. You know, we're just everything's as normal. Everything's as usual. Everybody says, well, God's not really going to judge us after all. There was a Seinfeld episode and Seinfeld. They're better even after 10 years. And if you've watched some of the reruns and one of the episodes was Putty, who was Elaine's boyfriend in a certain number of episodes. And Putty was going to go to a New Jersey Devils hockey game. Anybody see that episode? OK, yeah. Confess. Yeah. And uh, and so Putty had his face red, just beat red. And he had horns on. And he had his for the, the New Jersey Devils hockey game. And he comes to pick up Elaine, and she's shocked at this look. She said, oh, man, alive, you look terrible. And she said, you don't really believe in the devil, do you? And he said, well, of course I do. I believe in the devil, and I believe in God. And she says, but, but I don't believe in God. He says, I know. He says, you're going to hell. And she said, you mean you don't care that I'm going to hell? No, that's your choice. I'm not going to hell, but you are. You know? And so they're arguing over whether or not he should care if she's going. That's the way we treat heaven and hell. That's the way we treat God's judgment. Ah, it's just a joke, you know. And, you know, you know. If I go to hell, that's okay because all my drinking buddies will be there, and we'll just drink and have a good. No, 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 no. The Bible makes it very clear that hell is the loneliest place ever. You are there alone with your thoughts, recognizing that you said no to God all of your life, and this is where you ended up. These pagan times, John Blanchard asks in a book uh, a very poignant question. He says, whatever happened to hell? Well, nothing. It's just that seldom do you hear people talk about it these days because we generally ignore unhappy subjects. Now, the Apostle Peter also was talking about this. He talked a lot about the end of times. Now, Peter remembers the same one that de denied Jesus became one of the great leaders of the church and one of the great authors, along with the Apostle Paul and John, one of the great authors of the New Testament. And this is what Peter said about people kind of ignoring the end times. He said, you must understand, this is Second Peter 2, excuse me, Second Peter 3, 3 and 4. You must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. <laughs> Hell is a big joke. You know, judgment, it's not going to happen. They will say, where is this coming? He promised. And Jesus promised he was coming. And where is he? Right. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Peter knew, like Jeremiah, that people would say, no, we're going to live as we always live. There'll be no judgment. We can do exactly as we want to. We can live any way we want to. Well, you have to understand that the Bible is very clear about this subject of judgment. 
And it begins by declaring that the Lord Jesus Christ will return. Now, we just got finished with uh, Easter a couple of weeks ago. And uh, most of you that have been around the Bible know that after Easter, for 40 days, 515 people um, uh, saw Jesus. They confessed to seeing Jesus. And then Jesus, the Bible says, he ascended okay, into heaven. He was on Mount of Olives. Disciples, some other believers were around, hanging around and saying, Jesus, why are you leaving us? He said, I'm not leaving you. I'm leaving you with the Holy Spirit. And we still have that Holy Spirit today, right? But, but I'm, my physical body, I'm, I'm leaving you. I'm going to be with my Father. And, and so Jesus ascended to heaven. Now, he says later that, but, but don't forget, disciples, someday, maybe sooner than you think, and they're thinking maybe 30 days, right? It's been 2,000 years. Someday, I'm going to return. I'm going to come back again. And when I come back, I'm going to judge the world. And they're thinking, wow, that'll be cool. I want to see that. Well, that they thought was going to happen soon, but that's called the imminent return of Christ. It means it could happen at any moment. It still can, still will. The imminent return of Jesus Christ. And so here's what it says in Acts 1.11. Uh, this same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. He's going to come back. And then later, Paul said in 1 Thessalonians, the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. It will be an impressive return. Jesus Christ at the revelation will return impressively. This personal, impressive, visual return, of, vis- visible return of Jesus Christ will be sudden and cataclysmic. And things will change. Now, Peter, again, the same Peter we've been talking about, uh, I want you to listen to his words. And when I read these words from Second Peter I want you to hear carefully uh, the verbiage. Okay, this is directly from what Peter wrote. Of course, he uh, wrote it in Greek, but this is directly from him. And this is what he said. The present heavens and earth are reserved for fire. Remember, God promised uh, Noah, I'll never destroy you with water again. Right. Never destroy you with rain. Well, he didn't make that promise about fire. The present heavens and earth are reserved for fire being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. In other words, you're not going to know when Jesus returns. The heavens will disappear. Listen now to this language. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. Now, when you read that, and I don't want to get weird on you, because, uh, but I love this kind of stuff. When you read that, do you know what I think of? <laughs> I think of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. That's what I think of. I mean, we don't know how the end of the world's going to come. There's a good chance. I mean, we've got these weirdos in North Korea and Iran that are, they've got weapons. I, I'm pretty convinced of that. I, and man alive, when you have people that are goofy, that have these things, we're in serious trouble. And so the world could end at any time. Let's be very honest. I mean, we're not the only moral force in the world. There's others that are working against morality and war against humanity and all of that. And, and this could happen. And he's describing this. And when he does, he said, man, that sounds like a nuclear war. That's what it sounds like. Well, it may be, may not. I don't know. But the fact is that day of judgment will come. No one knows when the day of judgment will come, but it will come. The fire in Jerusalem in 587 B.C. was kind of a snapshot or a a picture of what the end times were going to be when the day of judgment will come. And the day of judgment will always come for everyone 
who says no to God. It will be a day of reckoning. The dead will be raised, the Bible tells us, and every man and woman who has ever lived will be gathered before the throne of God for judgment. Every man and woman. This is what it says in Romans 2.6. God will give to each person according to what he has done. Oh, that sounds scary. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.10. That sounds scary. And Jesus himself promised, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be get, listen, all the nations will be gathered before him. Every man, woman, and child of every age, every continent, every nation, all peoples will be uh, gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. I don't like that verse. Remember last week I told you about my friend who the, the church didn't like some of the Bible, so he just kind of th- started tearing pages. I'd like to tear this page out of the Bible. But this is God's word for you and for me. And judgment will come. And there will become a day when everyone will be judged. Everyone. Now, this day of judgment sounds very personal, and it is. It, it's one thing to ask what will happen on the day of judgment. More important, here's the question we all need to ask. What will happen to me? On the day of judgment. I mean, will I be judged? Now, let's get to a little bit of good news. Not the best news yet, but a little bit of good news. It's this. Not everyone will have the same end. They will be separated, the sheep and the goats. Not everyone will have the same. There'll be two different kinds of people on that day, the sheep and the goats, the righteous and the unrighteous. Jesus promises that. Because some people, and many of you, I trust most of you, are ones who have said yes to God. Yes, I will walk your way. Yes, Lord, I will commit my life to you. I will walk the path of righteousness to the best of my ability. Yes, Lord, I trust in you. I believe in you. I say yes to you. Remember on Easter Sunday, we had a big tent and and the sign that said, I said yes to God. And so many people are saying no to God, but many of you have said yes to God. About 1.5 to 1.6 billion people on this planet out of the 7 billion people have said yes to God. And they've said yes. And they're on this path. They are the sheep, not the goats, right? And so we have this, this, this time when there will be this judgment. And we ask the question, what will happen to me? Matthew 25, 46 says it this way. The unrighteous will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Now, the children of Israel had a choice, as we have a choice every day of our lives. A choice to choose God's way, to choose the way of life eternal, or the way to go our own way and say no to God. Happily, not everyone will be lost on that day of judgment. Judah, when the Babylonians crushed Jerusalem, many were killed, but... Some, miraculously, were saved. Now, let's look at this as an analogy. It is a day of salvation for God's servants. Uh, Jeremiah's life is spared, and we don't know really why, except for the Holy Spirit wanted him to be spared. We don't really know why he was spared. But here's what it says in 39, 11, and 12. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had given these orders about Jeremiah through uh, Nebuzaradan, Commander of the Imperial Guard. You should never have a guard that's name is as close to yours as that, you know. Uh, Nebuzaradan, I can't even say it. Uh, Take him and look after him. Don't harm him, but do for him whatever he asks. Wow. Inexplicably, Jeremiah is saved, even honored. We don't know surely why, but like Jeremiah, every child of God, you and I, will be saved if we have put our trust 
in God and our trust in the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross. You will be saved. You say yes to God. But you're saying, but I'm not as good as Jeremiah. I'm not as good a servant as Jeremiah. Maybe you have to be like Jeremiah to be saved, really. No, there's this amazing passage in Jeremiah that speaks to every man. That speaks to the common man. That speaks to you and I, to the ordinary men and women who are saying, God, I'm just doing my best here. I want to love you. I want to serve you. I want to obey you. I fail a lot, but man, God, I want to love. So those kind of people. What about those kind of people? Well, there's a slave and his name is Ebed-Melech. Ebed-Melech. It's, it's, it's a, kind of a, the only time he's mentioned is in chapter 39. And listen to what it says about Ebed-Melech, uh, Jeremiah 13, 39, 15 to 18. When Jeremiah had been confined in the courtyard of the guard, remember he's put aside and he's spared, his life is spared. The word of the Lord came to him. Go and tell Ebed-Melech, the Cushite. This is what, the, by the way, the Cushite is from Cush. And that's where almost exclusively uh, black people dwelled. That whole nation of people were uh, dark skinned. Okay. So uh, Ebed-Melech, the Cushite. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. I'm about to fulfill my words against the city through disaster, not prosperity. At that time, they will be fulfilled before your eyes. In other words, Israel, I mean, Israel, the nation of Israel, Jerusalem is going down. They have said no, 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 until finally they're going to get their wish. Right. So but I will rescue you on that day, declares the Lord. You will not be handed over to those you fear. I will save you. You will not fall by the sword, but will escape with your life. Because what? Say it with me. You trust in me, declares the Lord. You trust in me. Now, here's this servant, this slave, no, like a man of dark skin from another country, Abed-Molech. And, and, and God says, I will rescue you. You will not be handed over with the others. I will save you. You will not fall. You will escape with your life. Now, that's a very clear promise that God desires to save. Now, who was the slave that God saved and why? Ibn Malak was a Kushite from Ethiopia, from the Nubian Empire. Again, uh, from North Africa, but almost, almost 100% sure he was a, a black man. Like the Ethiopian eunuch from Philip, that, uh, whom Philip baptized, Ebed-Melech shows that the gospel is for every tribe. Hear this? Every tribe, every people, every nation. Read Revelation chapter 5. It is for black and brown and red and white. The basis for Ebed-Melech's salvation is so critical here. He was not saved because he, God owed him a favor. He was not saved because of the color of his skin. He was not saved because he had a difficult life in slavery. He was not saved because he did good things or because he had status or religion or extraordinary gifts. He was not rescued, saved because he rescued Jeremiah from a cistern. Ebed-Melech was not saved on the basis of any good works. He was saved by grace through faith. I will save you because you trust in me. Nothing else. Nothing less. Well, was he religious? I don't know, and I don't care. Well, did he do good works? I have no idea. Well, was he a good person? I doubt it. But he was saved because he trusted in me. Ebed-Melech's trust in the Lord saved him from the fate that the rest of the city experienced. God not only commuted his condemnation, but because of his compassion and courage, he said he was the one who trusted in God. Adam and Eve, 
all of the Garden of Eden, all of the thousands of beautiful plants and trees and fruit and animals are all at your disposal. Say yes to every one of them. Say yes to God's provision. Say yes to God's grace. There's one tree that you don't want to mess with. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It'll only bite you in the butt. Don't do that. Don't go there. And all of this say yes to this. And they said no to that and said yes to the one tree. Abraham, the Bible says, said yes to God. He raised the knife above his son Isaac and was about to plunge it in his arm, in his heart. And the Bible says that Abraham was not saved because he did the right thing. The Bible says that he was saved because he believed. And his belief, his faith, was put to his account, Genesis 12, as righteousness. Not as good works, not as good behavior. Not the way he wasn't a, a, a behavior. He was a believer. He trusted in God. He said yes to God. Moses on Mount Sinai went up there to get the Ten Commandments or Mel Brooks would say 15 originally. But he went up and got the Ten Commandments. And, he brought, and as he was up there for a certain amount of time, the Israelites got afraid and maybe he's dead and what's going to happen. And so he said, we need a God. So they, they built a, a, a golden statue and they worshiped the golden statue. And they said, even though we've seen God say to us, yes, 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 I deliver you. I redeem you. I take you out of Egypt. I give you water from a rock and I give you manna from the sky and I give you all of this. And I said, yes, yes, yes. I say all that. To the people of Israel said, no, no, we're not going to do it your way. no. Israel constantly said no. In the New Testament, the disciples, many of them, Jesus called them, come and follow me. Leave your father, leave your parents, leave your work, just come and follow me. They said yes, 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 yes. But one, one disciple, Judas, said no. He said, I'm not going to do it your way, God. I'm not going to be humble and meek. I am not going to be a peacemaker. I desire that the nation of Israel rise up and overthrow the Roman government. I am a zealot. I am Judas. And I say no to your way, Jesus, and yes to my way. Hanging on the cross, there were two thieves. One said, no, I don't believe in you. And look at you. If you're so special, why don't you get down off the cross, Jesus? And the other thief said, I believe in you. I believe in you. And Jesus said, today, you'll be with me in paradise. One said no, and one said yes. How many people have an opportunity to say yes to God? I believe all people at some level, in some way, through creation or somehow, Romans chapter 1, God gives every person on this planet a chance to say, yes, God, I believe in you. We do not stand before God on the basis of our own merit. Because if that were the case, we always fall short. But rather, our trust in Jesus Christ and what he did for us. The judgment day, the second coming of Jesus Christ is coming. And we don't have a choice in it. So we have this amazing teaching in the New Testament about judgment. It mentions a couple of places. Paul mentions it in 2 Corinthians 5 and and uh, John mentions it several times in Revelation, this idea of judgment. And so to get the picture, there's this uh, the judgment seat of Christ where all people will stand before God and they will be judged. That's you and that's me. That's all of us. That's all people, all time, all colors, all nations. Everyone stand before God. And then the Bible says in Revelation chapter uh, 20, and, and this is I didn't put this in the notes. I just I, I just added this this morning. Um, listen to what it says in, in Revelation chapter 20. Uh, about uh, that day when we stand before God. Uh, when I, then I saw, this is chapter 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, 
and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from the presence and there was no place for them. The reason earth and sky fled from their presence is because now all of their works, all of their thoughts, all of their words, all of their deeds are going to be revealed to God. It's going to be a giant screen in the sky. Okay, here comes your life. Let's see how that works. And they, they ran away screaming. We don't want any part of that. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened. Two books. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And out of this book, listen to what happens to those who are written in the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Do you want that? Come on. Are, are, you, are, you, are you willing to do that? Are you willing to stand before God and say, okay, God, let's put all my thoughts, deeds, everything I've done in my life, let's put it up on the big screen. Okay, let's put it up there and let's run that and let's see how, how good I feel about that. Every one of us would cower under the couch. Every one of us would run away screaming, no, please don't show my thoughts, don't show my words, don't show my actions. I can't stand that. So that's what's going to happen. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Verse 13, the sea gave up the dead and were in it. And the death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. That is terrifying. Listen, verse 14. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If any one's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. There was a second book. It's called the Lamb's Book of Life. And when you give your heart to Jesus, when you say yes to God and say, I'm going to go your way, I know I'm going to fail. I know I'm not going to be right all the time. But God, I'm going to walk your way. I'm going to repent. I'm going to stop walking my own way. I'm going to walk your way. I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to live for you. I'm going to love people into the kingdom. I'm going to do everything in my power to live, my love my enemies, to do what you want me to do to live for Jesus. I'm going to do that. And when you make that decision, and many of you have made that decision, your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Now, what happens when the Lamb's Book of Life is revealed? So the end time, everybody stands before God. Everybody's watching. And it's Brandon Hubby's turn. And Brandon goes... Oh, no, this is terrible. All of his thoughts, all of his deeds, all of his actions, all of his life is going to be put up on the big screen. And everybody's going to watch. And it's going to be an amazing time. And so just as the, the you remember, some of you that are old enough, you remember the old eight millimeter movie? It starts to roll. You can hear that clatter. You know, as soon as the movie starts to roll, Brandon's just covering his head. He's like, oh, no, what am I going to do? And just then on the screen appears Jesus. And he said, this one's mine. This one's mine. I died on the cross for his sins. He embraced my love. He embraced my way. He embraced my truth. This one's mine. And so for the next 45 hours of video, you see Jesus on the screen with his hands outreached, nails in his hands. And he said, this one's mine. This one's mine. And his life is righteous and beautiful, not because he is righteous and beautiful, because Jesus Christ is And that's the Lamb's Book of Life. Friends, what are we going to do? Every one of us is going to be judged. And again, this is not my idea. I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm just being very truthful about what the Bible says. The Bible says you will be judged. It's your choice. Do you want your life thrown up on the big screen? Are you okay with that? Because the Bible says that there's not one righteous, not one righteous ever that's been righteous. The wages of sin is death. And if you've told one lie in your life, you're a liar. If you've stolen one thing, you're a stealer. You're a thief. Everybody has sinned and broken the heart of God. Do you want that?
Or do you want to stand up and, and say, okay, here comes my life. And Jesus Christ stands up and he says, Father, this one's mine. This, this child of mine, when he was 11 years old, he gave his heart to Jesus. He hasn't always been faithful. He hasn't always done the right thing. But he's always loved me. And he's always come back when I've called him back. And this one's mine. And I've got him. That's the great, that's the great thing about the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. The fall of Jerusalem gives a vivid picture of salvation from judgment to come. Jeremiah and Abed-Melech were two brands plucked from the burning city. It's like they were, you know how they talk about, you pluck a brand from the fire? In the same way, every sinner who comes to Christ in faith is like a branch snatched from the flames. This image is repeated throughout the Old Testament prophets. Amos said to Israel, you were like a burning stick snatched from the fire. Amos 4.11 The angel of the Lord described Joshua the high priest as a burning stick snatched from the fire. Every believer is a brand from the burning. Here's this. We are rescued. We are delivered. We are saved from the day of judgment. Not by our own works or righteousness. but By the righteousness of Jesus Christ. When we say yes to him. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, you've told us that we'll all be judged one day. Either on our own merit. Or on the merit of Jesus. And so this morning, Father, I just feel led to offer an opportunity to our people to once again have a choice of saying yes or no. Saying, yes, I desire Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Yes, I believe that he died for my sins. Yes, I allow him to forgive me, to cleanse me, and to give me life everlasting. I say yes to him. But Lord, I'm also compelled to say that for those here this morning who say no, I don't believe that. I'm going to go my own way. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do a work in their life that would draw them to your love. Draw them to your grace. Draw them to your forgiveness. So now, Father, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I would invite you, if you have never said yes to God, if your name is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and you would like that to happen, if you would like that by receiving Christ by faith, I invite you to pray this prayer after me. Not out loud, but in the quietness of your own heart. Dear Lord, my life is so broken and I need you. And so even though I don't have a lot of faith, I I have a small amount of faith. And with that small amount of faith, I am asking you, God, to forgive me. I'm asking your son, Jesus, who died for me on the cross to come into my heart, to cleanse me, to make me righteous, not on my own efforts, but on his, and to seal my life for all eternity as a child of God. I invite Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And I thank you that you are faithful to me. Now, with your heads still bowed and your eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer this morning, I would like to know it so that I can pray for you. And I would like to see your face. Would you just raise your hand as you do? Just look up and look at me. God bless you. God bless you guys. Yes, God bless you guys. Anyone else? The Bible says that when you by faith receive Christ, that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life.
That's not a promise from me. It's a promise from God. Is there anyone else this morning that made that prayer? God bless you. Father, you've said in your word in, in, in Luke that um, every time a person says yes to Jesus, that the angels in heaven sing. You can almost hear their voices. And we praise you for these who by faith have received Christ. Their names have been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And Father, I pray for every one of us that because we are saved, because we are delivered and redeemed, not of our own merit, that we will walk in that light faithfully, that we will walk in that truth, that we'll respond to your grace by offering grace and love to others. Father, help us to live faithfully for you. Lord, we just praise you and thank you again for this word. And we pray that you would now um, just seal that truth in each of these hearts that made that commitment today. For we ask these things in the strong name of Jesus and all of God's people together said, Amen. Amen. We have the-